To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations for from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. Sorry, crypto hipsters. Bitcoin has gone mainstream. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Megan McCarty-Carino. It's been a little more than a week since several investment products tied to Bitcoin started trading on old-school financial markets. These exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, have made it easier for everyday investors to place bets on the crypto market like any other stock on Wall Street. In the days since federal regulators finally gave the okay, investors have poured nearly $2 billion into new Bitcoin-tied funds, but probably not the crypto purists, says Joel Khalili, who reports on the industry for Wired. He says early adopters are quite happy to stay on the fringes of the financial system. It harks back to the underlying ideology that was laid out in, in this white paper was that Bitcoin would be a technology that, that underpinned a payment network whereby people would, one, they would store their own wealth. Uh, two, they would transact directly with one another, essentially cutting these large Wall Street intermediaries out of the picture. And you know, the reality is that the ETFs are just not that. They, they, they're kind of the opposite. You know, they're a vehicle exclusively for financial speculation. They're managed by a host of, you know, it's kind of the who's who of Wall Street, these large financial institutions. Uh, you know, users don't hold the underlying Bitcoin themselves. They're kind of investing in, in, a, in a representation. And, you know, you can't use ETF shares as, as a means of peer-to-peer payment, that's for sure. So investing in ETFs is not direct ownership of a cryptocurrency, which has kind of been a core principle for this group. That's right. That's right. So that's 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 one of the reasons why crypto ideologues they they like the idea of Bitcoin ETFs, partly because they see it as a kind of source of uh, new legitimacy for Bitcoin, and you know that they hope that it will legitimize the asset in, in the eyes of large institutional investors, uh, and they also see it as something that will kind of unlock this this pent up demand for Bitcoin among people who have typically been you know, unwilling to, to uh, deal with the, the hassles, the frictions, the perils of storing crypto themselves. So, you know, on, on one hand, you know, Bitcoiners are excited about the arrival of Bitcoin ETFs, but, you know, they won't touch them themselves because, as you say, you know, what ETF investors aren't doing is, is buying Bitcoin directly. They're buying a, a representation. 
there's a saying among uh, Bitcoiners, you know, not your keys, not your coins. And, and that means effectively that unless you keep Bitcoin in a self-managed wallet, it's not really under your control. And, and you know, that is the case with the ETFs. A third party custodian has, has control really of the underlying Bitcoin. Yeah. Can you explain some of the hassles and frictions of buying and storing Bitcoin directly? Sure. So, so typically, I suppose one issue is that people have tended, or let's say some people have tended to prefer not to do business with crypto exchanges. You know, we'd have in the US, the largest, uh, you know, the likes of Coinbase, likes of Gemini, but then there have been offshore exchanges like FTX. That'll be a name familiar to everyone that, you know, <laughs> ended fairly poorly. So the purchasing crypto directly, it still involves going directly and transacting with a crypto exchange where, you know, you take dollars and they'll in return give you cryptocurrency and then you can choose if you'd like to take the cryptocurrency off exchange and keep them in a, in a wallet of your own. But it's that piece that really, um, that where most of the friction lies, it's, it's storing cryptocurrency in, in a wallet of your own. You know, the reality with cryptocurrency is that um, there is no room for error. So I can take the cryptocurrency and put it in my own wallet. But if I lose access to that wallet, if I forget my password, if I haven't uh, correctly recorded uh, what's known as a seed phrase, it's a 12-word uh, sequence of words um, that, that will allow you to recover access to a wallet. Um, if, if, you, if you forget any of those pieces and you lose access, then your crypto your, your crypto's gone. It's, it's, it's into the ether. It's unrecoverable. So it, it's that piece. That's where the peril really lies in terms of people um, participating in what's known as, as self-custody. That's the term that Bitcoiners would use. We'll be right back with Joel Khalili on what happens when Bitcoin goes to Wall Street. You're listening to Marketplace Tech. I'm Megan McCarty-Carino. We're back with Wired reporter Joel Khalili. So who is excited about this? Yeah, it, it, it's a funny one. Um, Bitcoiners, you know, they believe that the greater uh, awareness surrounding the asset among regular people that it can only be a good thing in the long term. You know, one person put it to me, they, they think that it'll have a kind of mosquito bite effect. You know, it's a bit of a crude uh, uh, kind of turn of phrase, but effectively infecting people with Bitcoin fever, right? So that on the one hand, they're kind of excited about this prospect that Bitcoin is going to be effectively passing into the hands of a much broader range of people, uh, a much broader range of investors are coming to the space and potentially you know, a, a lot more cash in terms of dollar value will be entering the Bitcoin system and potentially uh, driving up the price. But on the other hand, none of that means that they'll be buying into the ETFs themselves for the kinds of reasons we discussed. Right. I mean, if we do see this kind of uh, sustained flood of investment, mainstream investment, institutional investment into crypto, I mean, could that sort of stabilize this ecosystem a bit? Yeah, I mean, so it's one theory. So I'm, I'm not a market analyst, but you know, the analysts that I spoke to generally do believe um, that the arrival of ETFs, the the arrival of um, capital from these kind of large institutional investment houses uh, into the asset class will uh, kind of result in an upward trend in in demand. You know, we can we can say that much, and and. Perhaps that will have a, a stabilizing effect, but on, on the other hand, you know something analysts predicted. There, there was a lot of hype in, in the lead up to ETF approval around you know what it might do to the Bitcoin price. There are a lot of posts flying around on on Twitter, peppered with rocket ship emojis. There were predictions <laughs> that the ETFs would suddenly drive Bitcoin to new all time highs, and you know the reality, and this is something that analysts had predicted, is that the pre approval hype kind of drove up the price, but then the approval itself led to a dip. People would you know. People bought the rumor, so to speak, and then sold the news. This moment sort of comes off a tough 
couple years in crypto. Things seem to have been, you know, kind of on the the upswing lately. But I mean, how would you sort of define this moment in in crypto after kind of the, the last few years? Sure. So I can tell you that, you know, people from within the industry are, uh, you know, there's there's a, a sense of optimism uh, in the wake of, of the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, who is the founder of FTX, the, the collapsed crypto exchange I, I referred to earlier. Um, there is a sense that there's an opportunity for crypto to, to start afresh, you know, whether that's born out in, in reality is another question, but uh, there there is a sense of optimism and part of it is surrounding the, the, the approval of these ETFs. I can't kind of understate how much this was something that members of, of crypto circles latched onto as, as something to celebrate. You know, it was the it, it was the talk of the the talk of the virtual town you know, for you know month, months in the lead up. Uh, so the, you know there there is a sense of optimism in, in crypto circles that uh, the industry can move on from the trauma that's that was caused by the collapse of FTX and, and the series of other companies that, that fell in, in around the same time frame in, in 2022. That was Joel Khalili at Wired. We talked about some of the big philosophical tensions with crypto going mainstream, but there are also some practical considerations. One of the perceived benefits of crypto is real-time around-the-clock availability. The blockchain stays online 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But stock exchanges and investment firms, they're more the 9-to-5 kind of crowd. So that first weekend after ETFs hit the scene, Bitcoin's value fell more than $1,000 after markets closed. As The Wall Street Journal noted, those who owned it directly or via a crypto broker were able to keep trading as Bitcoin runs 24-7. Those who held a Bitcoin ETF could only watch and wait for Wall Street to open. We've got a link to that as well as Joel's article for Wired at our website, marketplacetech.org. Rosie Hughes produced this episode. I'm Megan McCarty-Carino, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Khreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.